You're listening to the Inverse Podcast, where we explore how the scriptures can turn our world upside down. Or how it can be weaponized to uphold the status quo. I'm Drew Hart. And I'm Jared McKenna, and this is Inverse. Well, we've got a dear, dear, dear guest with us today. We are so excited because one of the things we've been trying to do is intersperse some of our episodes with something we're calling Inverse Zone. And so we get to dialogue with dear loved ones from our Inverse community. And today we have the one and only Sarah Quince. Uh, she is a citizen of Matapanai Nation of Senecomica, Turtle Islands, which is present day Eastern Virginia, USA. Her and her partner, Steve, pastor Monroe City Church in Monroe, Michigan, which is Petawatami territory. She's a mother of two amazing boys, River and Reed. Sarah is a self-diagnosed nemophilist because of her love for the forests with a passion uh, for plant knowledge and foraging. Uh, with the help of her elders and the great spirit, Sarah has been walking the red road in an effort to decolonize and contextualize the way of Jesus. These efforts have led to crafting songs in her tribe's traditional tongue, connecting to the land, creative writing, and oral storytelling. As she works towards reconnection in all seven directions, Sarah is passionate about inviting others who feel disenfranchised along the way. She's proud to represent the long line of First Nations relatives who have been good hosts on their land. She's a board member of Monroe Puente, a nonprofit that works to make sure immigrants and migrant workers receive the welcome, dignity, and connections that they deserve. Wholeness to Sarah is when all creation has the freedom to live out their God-given purpose around the sacred hoop of life. And so it's only fitting that her daily prayer is, may the circle be unbroken. Sarah, uh, welcome to Inverse Podcast. Thank you, Drew. Thank you, Jared. I'm among friends and family here. Thank you for the introduction. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm so excited uh, for our conversation. But before we dive in, uh, you know that one of the things that we like to do is kind of set the atmosphere with a text, with a scriptural passage. And so uh, can you read your chosen passage that you have uh, that has potentially been maybe liberative or significant for you in recent years? Yeah. So we're not going to go too far into the scriptures and to be right on the nose as a First Nations person, we're going to go to the creation story. <laughs> um, find ourselves in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I'm going to read from the Amplified Version. Um, and I'll just set it up just a moment. But as the Lord God was speaking to the serpent and the woman Eve, uh, the Creator said to the serpent, And I will put enmity, open hostility, between you and the woman, and between your seed or offspring and her seed, he shall fatally bruise your head and you shall only bruise his heel. Genesis 3.15. Ooh, we've got some work to do. Um, Sarah, as a way of starting, we love you. Thank you for saying yes to this. We're, we're so excited. Yes. Um, our first special question for our inverse own um, is how has this community transformed uh, you and your faith journey and I guess the um, additional or, or dovetailing that is was your experience of faith community something that was liberative or oppressive 
Um, so you, you can handle those in any which order you'd like. Sure. Yeah, I um, I think the the word that keeps coming to mind when I think of inverse, my faith and thought and in practice is just expansive. Um, would be the word of of the effect it's had on me. Um, the oppression of previous faith spaces really played out in their prescription of this is the narrow way that you should be thinking, um, the narrow way that we believe, you know, is orthodoxy. Um, and I don't know, I, I think it just felt really entrenched in a very narrow space. And so that became the oppression is just like the thought around it. Um, but I will admit that like, uh, even within that dualism of like, there's this right and this is wrong, or, you know, this is correct and this is out of order. God still felt pretty large to me in those spaces mm. because God peeks through even in tough spaces like that. Mm. Um, so he still felt larger than life. But once I was introduced to this community, um, it was so nice to have a more expansive view of theology. Um, I started hearing words like theory behind some of the things that have <laughs> been like <laughs> staples of like, this is the only way to believe. And just that one word um, expands your ability to see God in all different ways and to approach the text in different ways. Um, womanist theologians, liberation theologians, other indigenous theologians who are practicing in real time as we are wrestling with the text and we are theo theologizing together, um, it just really expanded. And so um, I will say that even though God is very large and larger than life in those spaces, inverse helped God to become endless. Um, and hmm. I think that's a really powerful thing. Um, and there were parts of me too, in my previous spaces, I would like to say, if I'm being honest, they were oppressive in many ways and but not all of it was bad either um they still formed me and there was there was love there and goodness there too but only for parts of me and so mm. i came very measured um there are parts of me that were welcomed and parts of me that weren't in those communities um for example in my faith traditions that i grew up in women were not allowed to lead which mm. becomes a big problem when God calls me oh, to preach and teach. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, so my, you know, my femininity and my womanhood was not welcomed in those spaces um, in the fullness of who I am. But also mm -hmm. my indigeneity was kind of seen as uh, just completely um, not welcome in any way. That was looked at suspiciously and it was like, leave that at the door and just mm -hmm. come in and come into this space that is seen as culturally neutral, um, but it wasn't. So I felt very peace and parceled in those spaces. And then an inverse, um, it's also expansive in that way, even just the way you practice your faith, like people were coming in from all across the globe and those little parts of them that were denied elsewhere were very welcomed and celebrated here. And in that way, it expanded God even more um, in the way that we look at them. So, yeah, I think just expansive would be the word. Mm. That's really beautiful. Yeah, expansive. That's a uh, powerful, and I, I mean, I always appreciated um, just the plurality 
of experiences and stories and all the gifts and wisdom that people bring into the space. And I think that certainly for Jared and I, we've always wanted to not make it just about what we believe, right? Um, but that we can be learning, giving, receiving, sharing from each other. And so I really find that really powerful, um, that language. And I can resonate even, I mean, I have shared so much about growing up in a Black church, um, but it was a Black church that was patriarchal and that, mm. you know, it was really beautiful in some really powerful ways. And also there's some ways that were quite troubling, right? And all of those things um, in which my love for Jesus kind of was birthed in that space and my sense of who I am in many ways uh, continues to be shaped by them. And also like, it's not always a safe place for everyone. And, um, and so, yeah, I think we can hold on to the tensions of those communities without, you know, pretending like it's all one thing or the other when sometimes it's just so messy. Um, but within that messiness of even inverse, like uh, sometimes it's good to get from the big ideas to like the particular, right? To the specifics. I'd love to hear from you in terms of like, um, could you describe for us a specific moment or a conversation um, that happened within the inverse community that was uh, that maybe had a liberating impact on you as you experienced it, something particular for you? Yeah, um, I think for me, probably the the first moment of just shaking, but just really impacted me um, so much that I even remember what season it was outside when it, wow. where I was sitting, what season it was, but it was a communion. It was one of the first mm. communions that spontaneously happened yeah. Um, and it was led not by you two, um, like mm. blessings to you both. We love you, but like it was <laughs> community led. It was, you yeah. know, led by women, um, and other people on the outskirts. And it continued in that practice where if we would have communion, it was anyone in the family could, uh, you know, welcome people to the table and offer up prayer. Um, something about that. It, it really shook me um, and had a really liberating impact because I specifically remember one of the first times it was a woman who had never been allowed to do anything like that in any of her, um, in her faith communities. And her voice shook, like she was like, oh, I don't know if I can. Mm -hmm. And like, just to see her do that was very um, liberative for us all, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, that was a, that was a really big moment, but I think it just kind of goes into really what, continues to transform me within the spaces that you allow as the leadership, you allow the church to lead um, all the subgroups that pop up, all the conversations that pop up because people have gifts and unctions towards things and they just run with it. And neither Drew nor Jared, neither of you feel like you have to put your name on it and, you know, make it just so and control it. And letting the last go first has been really, really formative. Mm. That's so encouraging to hear. Like, yeah. and it's wonderful for Drew and I that when we tell stories, these are the stories that we tell as well. Like, yeah. um, when Drew was saying earlier that, um, if this was a space that we were merely to teach, and I know a lot of people have asked for, for more of that from us. Um, and we're, we're trying to, um, in this season, maybe do a little bit more of that. But if we were to merely teach, um, we can't learn from you all. And there's so many ways, um, like you in particular, Sarah, particularly in the Turtle Island context, 
like as a, a indigenous leader you've um led us challenged us stretched us yeah. um and i know that for um indigenous peoples on the continent um where i am your voice has been so important because mm -hmm. that has um encouraged and allowed them to do the same we're interested what are the things that may have like challenged or stretched you in this space um uh are there particular instances or, or just kind of general motifs that um have helped in that expansion that you're talking about earlier yeah i mean i'm i, I really can't get off of the table um of the lord mm -hmm. um who all is welcome um you know i came in with some thoughts in my head still from traditions I'd been raised in about who's in and who's out. Um, even though I feel like my life has been very compassionate, like I'm, I'm naturally more compassionate. There's still things that get in your head and to see people full of the Holy spirit who would have been excluded in previous congregations of mine. Um, it stretches me and I really, really appreciated that and so it's formed the practice as you know we started our church here locally i'm in my husband's hometown um and he had you know wanted to serve this community and so we started a church and it even formed our own community practices we have people coming from all different backgrounds and traditions of way they approach the table and so to collaborate we literally you know got everybody in the room and said what is it about the you know the way that you practice communion um in your traditions what is holy and sacred to you what are things that were valuable to you let's let's form this in our own space um it's still not polished yet it's still not there but just that idea of a community gathering together to form together what our worship will look like um and one of the things that came out of it is we eat together um yeah, we start yeah. we start with a cup and we you know have the bread as well but we we eat around a table um, yeah. it's a big potluck you know um and it has changed us um and really formed us and it really i it started here it started here very much so in my heart and my mind wow. um and just allowing you know others to lead that whole practice too which was honest to god it was so liberating as a pastor like you mean i don't have to like run every team and i don't have to scrutinize every program or we don't even have to put our church name on all this stuff like are you gifted in this run with it and being able to just do that has been really even liberative as a pastor but i would hope for our congregation as well so wow. a lot of that is is coming is really they're really fruits of this space so yeah well, I, just to note, I'm not sure how many people when talking about um, podcasts would like mention the Eucharist, <laughs> like communion has been what is transforming about like, and I think that speaks to um, uh, this community as well, and, and what we're able to hold. And yeah, that warms my heart so much. Yeah. And it's beautiful the way, I mean, what I, at least what I'm hearing, Sarah, is shaping even as you're trying to imagine and i mean it's mm. it's so powerful in terms of especially well i guess you say christendom in general and certainly protestantism in particular just the clergy centric way in which everything yeah. must run through clergy yeah. right they've got to have their hands on everything and they've got to control everything and and it's not church unless 
they put their hands and bless it, right? And I think that mm. um, to be freed up, to allow the church to be the church, um, to live into their full calling as a community, I think is really powerful um, in the way that you are experimenting Right. And sure, I mean, I think all communities were their experiments, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And we learn and we grow as we try and we risk um, to live into something more beautiful. And so anyway, I just really appreciate hearing you kind mm -hmm. of share some of that and the ways that you all are actually eating around the table. I was thinking about obviously, you know, early Christians. That's that's what they did, right? For, right, yeah. right. for the first several centuries. <laughs> I love this. Until it got too inefficient, right? Apparently, um, with the numbers. And so we, we switched, but, um, but yeah, that's powerful. So I guess, you know, when you're thinking about, I guess just another question, thinking about inverse community, um, like how would you describe, um, moments of feeling like deep belonging? Um, that's just a question that we've been wanting to ask folks, just kind of yeah. curious about your own experience. Where in, in Inverse have you felt deep belonging? Have there been particular moments or support um, from this particular community? Yeah. Um, from the first night, uh, I was able to feel, you know, a welcome and a comfort like I had never felt in another space up until that point. So I will start hmm. there. But like I said, in my previous traditions, there were parts of me, piece and parcel, that were not welcomed. And so, you know, I had my, you know, Bible hat on. I had all these hats that felt acceptable that first night. But my voice trembled the first time I spoke up. And I remember unmuting to respond to something and like literally feeling like I was going to vomit mm. because oh, wow. that's not what that wouldn't be possible. It wouldn't be appreciated in some of the other spaces. Mm. Um, and it was very vulnerable, but it, you know, I left and then I, it was all good from there. Um, as I got to know everybody. Um, but I hid my indigeneity a lot of that until much, much later that felt much too precious and fragile. And yeah. I had yet to see even some indigenous spaces that would allow both my love for Jesus and myself as a Mattapanai into the same space. Mm. I'd never seen it happen before. So wow. to imagine bringing all of that is just that imagination um, mm. and a hope. And so when I was um, offered to do a water ceremony and within the space, um, which is a public ceremony, it's intended to be public, mm. um, but it is still not Western. Um, and it is, you know, I've never seen it done in the walls of a church. Um, and so when I had to do that, I was unbelievably nervous because um, there's so much trauma attached to us as First Nations people performing ceremony in front of non-Indigenous people. Mm -hmm. um, up until that point, I'd actually never done one publicly that hadn't been interrupted by police force or some other type of confrontation. And wow. so my body was feeling that as well. Like, are you really going to do this? <laughs> um, and so when I presented that and their response um, was so open-armed, so open-hearted, um, and that was true ceremony in the sense that I'm not an island leading this thing, but it's a collective of all of us together with the same intention, the same heart around this. And we're praying for water, which 
all you know the water across the globe and this global community um i felt so supported in that moment that was a really beautiful moment mm -hmm. and even for you know the one or two people who might have had some issues with it from you know whatever even the yeah. support that came after that yeah. um of just making sure that that those situations were explained and handled properly and i felt the support the whole time through that too, yeah so. wow so good you know Sarah, I, I still in fact i can see it right now i have my container from that Aww. night of water that sits Ooh. on my shelf <laughs> Um, and so it that was a very special time for me and it was a gift i i know i can speak for pretty much everyone that was present that it was such a gift um to be Thank attentive you. to the water and so yeah that, that was a power when i think about powerful moments that were transformative for me um, mm -hmm. that is definitely among them and helps me to love God's creation in a way that mm -hmm. in a different register than I had been discipled into. Right. And so I think oh, that's um, a beautiful way of putting it true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, mm -hmm. just a, what a gift. And I do remember, um, without naming specific folks, like there were some folks that had a little trouble and, you know, both, I remember the you know kind of like this position is like the one thing i know i will do if i error i'm going to error in um standing <laughs> with my indigenous siblings right not that i want to error but also at the same time reaching a handout to make sure that folks know that um that they're still loved but that yeah. this is going to be a space um, where we're not going to re-perpetuate um so much of what western christianity has been right the the mm -hmm demonizing and denigrating of indigenous traditions um yeah. from the outside without even understanding it from the inside right and so um yeah, so anyway that. just yeah grateful yeah. for that gift to the community and i'm incredibly thankful for the opportunity sarah that you and risking the vulnerability of bringing that means that we have the opportunity to center your experience and even how we did the conflict transformation um, and I'm really pleased that maybe one of the things that's coming out in the inverse our own series is uh, often communities fall apart at the point of conflict because it's seen as a negative instead of as a positive yeah. and as seen yeah. um, as something that, uh, you know, takes away from community instead of like, no, this is the, this is the real stuff of community. And, um, I, I look back on that and, have a, I just give thanks that um, there was the humility present um, for people to stay engaged in that. Um, yeah. And that's because of your vulnerability. So we're really appreciative of that as well. Um, as we are, um, your incredible teaching voice, like it was mentioned in passing, but um, you are called to teach. You're an incredible teacher. I've heard you do that in a number of settings, including um, uh, mainly Indigenous settings that we've been invited into to listen into, which has been um, incredibly uh, precious for so many of us. But uh, also on a weekly basis, you facilitate um, and the, the pulpit is a gift you make for, for others um, with your beloved. Would you now open up this particular text? I'm fascinated. This is where you were led. Uh, I <laughs> have no idea where we're going, um, but I'm, I have so much expectancy um, because I know you. 
And we want to continue to encourage you to bring all of you as you engage all of this text. Yeah, thank you so much for all the kind words. But let's let's get into this. Um, I find myself in Genesis probably more than anywhere else referentially. Um, but I do wanted to start off and say I don't know where all of this is going to fall on the you know whose whose conversations are going to land when, but. If you haven't listened to Tamisa's recording, mm. absolutely mm -hmm. listen to it. I really do think this is a sister recording to what she had said when she was speaking. I was, my spirit was just jumping because I was like, I had already written, you know, and thought about what I was going to say. I was like, this is so good. We're basically in conversation. So um, she did such a powerful study on resurrection and future hope. Um, and in so many ways, today is the same word, but a different text. Um, Today, I would love to speak to you all about eternal life um, and resurrection and eternal life. They really go hand in hand, two sides of the same coin. Um, but I really feel like Tamise just wiped her brow because she was sweating for sure. We were all sweating. It was a powerful thing. <laughs> and just sat down and tapped me in. <laughs> and uh, where she insisted on doing her herm hermeneutic from like a healed place in the end, in the future, I'm actually going to bookend it. Um, with interpreting life from a place of wholeness that we find in the beginning um, mm. in Genesis. So, mm -hmm. eternal life existed is what I'm going to propose. Eternal life existed from the very beginning. Uh, the scripture in Genesis 3.15 is called the Proto-Evangelium, which is a really unbelievably difficult word to say that basically means it's the first um it's the first breath of the good news that a savior is coming um that jesus is coming and our deliverer will be here um so yeah and it literally says in this place um that threats to your existence are going to come right you will have an enemy there's going to be enmity between you and the woman and threats to your life will come, but so will life. Threats of death will come, but life is also going to come. Um, and there's this little whisper of Jesus in the middle mm. because it's a singular seed that is presented as hope. You know, the seed is coming and what he will do, you know, and crushing that serpent's head, that great serpent of death. Um, when uh, Tamise spoke, she spoke on 1 Corinthians 15. And if you go into that passage, it says, you know, since death came through man, then the resurrection also comes through man. Uh, so the proto-evangelical, the, the first good news. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the first good news says that it will literally come through a woman's body, mm. through your offspring, through your seed. From the beginning, eternity was already placed with inside of us. At the moment death came to our door, there was also eternity and it was deeply hidden with inside of us. And God made all things fruitful um, and multiplying. And when that momentum was broken, when it was interrupted, the mending of that fracture is actually told that it's gonna come from within, um, not alone not alone not in some individualistic way but in connection with the great spirit 
when there would no longer be a disconnection between flesh and spirit, but that eternal life would be coming from within when the spirit and the flesh were one. And that's where the deliverance was going to come. And I had never really seen it that way. And I got to be honest, I thought about this a couple, like maybe even a year ago. I thought, ah, uh, they're going to ask me to be on a pod, the podcast, and I wouldn't even know what to say. And he was like, talk about eternal life coming from within and starting in, in Genesis. And I'm like, I'm going to talk about babies. So I do want to make a, I do want to make a disclaimer. We're going to talk a lot about babies today, but this is not, this is not some of the cultural wars that we're talking about. I really want to expand this a little bit mm. of really what we're talking about today. We are co-creators of our own healing. And that's a really beautiful thing. Yeah. Jesus was the first fruit of resurrection, but eternal life, the one that can only come through Christ, who nothing was made without, who was there from the very beginning, means that eternal life was already within us in that moment. Um, and I just think that's a really powerful thought. So that's where I'd like to go today with this yeah. passage, if you'll allow me. Yeah. Ooh. You yes ready? and amen. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're with you. Ready? Yeah, you uh, I'll reach. We're on the edges of our seats. <laughs> I, I reached over and I, I grabbed a, a Ben Wildflower icon. That I'm ah, not sure if you can see this. Yes, of the Theotokos, um, the the Mother of God, um, yeah. uh, surrounded by the Magnificat. But it's uh, if people want to look that up online. So I'm just going to place this here because I, I feel that it's appropriate for where we're going. You, for you sure. do your thing, for Sarah. Sure. You do your thing. I love it. Bring the energy. Yeah, I was thinking about um, genealogies in the Bible. Hmm. Um, we're talking about seed and eternal life coming from within us and our children, you know, coming into this future. Genealogies, there's a lot of them in the Bible. I will admit, when I have done in the first four square church where I come from, um, we had this like uh, devotion method that we would use. And you were supposed to like read the text and then respond to it and apply it. I'm like, how do I apply this? Like, it's so boring. Like, <laughs> so-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so, and I think they get a bad rep, um, but really they are written witnesses of life and life abundantly, like that promise um, that was there, a census record of God's faithfulness to a nation, and when you look at it that way, there's a lot there. Um, when Herod uh, tried to threaten the future of an entire nation through infanticide, a census was being taken at that moment. Um, and within those records is the seed, capital S. This is the one that had been spoken about from the very, very beginning. The seed was there, um, cached deep within the people's original creation story is now, you know, drooling, babbling, nursing here on earth. Um, and it's the one that was told, you know, you'll strike his heel, but he's going to crush your head. Um, mm -hmm. And basically was saying, you're going to go on. Like the deliverer has been delivered. Like life is going to go on. Eternal life is here and it's now. And I think it's really interesting that they actually went, you know, Mary and Joseph actually went with Jesus to hide um, this promised seed away in Egypt, which is another location of a spot where a deliverer whose life was threatened mm -hmm. um, actually came from Moses and helped 
deliver the nation as well. So there's this constant threat of a nation's seed, and that makes genealogies actually really cool. Yeah. <laughs> it makes them so important when you see that life is under threat. Um, genealogies become amazing. And I'll just say as a First Nations person um, in North America, genealogies and lists of names actually hit really differently. Yeah. yeah. And I can appreciate them. I know I'll have some family members listening and other natives listening from different tribes. So I'll say, placing aside for a moment all of our complications with who's enrolled and who's not enrolled in our list, in our enrollment list. If we could just place that aside for just a second, we have records of our members and it's a recording of who exists. Um, Drew, you did such a good job of saying my uh, this, the place name of where I come from, Sinekomaka. What that means in our language is um, densely populated place. Wow. Like full of people. That's what it means. Um, but once we have been counted in the thousands, and now the Mattapanai and the other tribes in Virginia are counted in the hundreds. Mm, goodness. Um, our list, our genealogies, our family trees are precious mm. to us. Um, Thomas Jefferson mm. in 1784, he actually said that, predicted that we would be gone. We're not going to be a problem for long because he said, we have no, we, the natives, of North America have no future here. Yeah. Um, eventually we would die out. So since the beginning of the formation of the American nation, there has always been a constant threat of life over our children. Always mm. a threat of life over our seed. Um, and I'll give a trigger warning here. I'm going to give a very brief overview of this history of yeah. threat to our seed. Um, but it's, it's, it's horrible. Um, so if you want to skip a few seconds, um, this would be the time. But there was an intentional spread of diseases um, that we would die that way. There was obviously genocide. Um, we know about that. Millions, millions of people killed. Um, eugenics and forced sterilization of women. I actually heard a story this week of another Virginia native woman. She's a monican. And... Um, in the early 1900s, she was just a little girl, but she was having complications with frostbite. And they, her brother took her to the hospital um, so she could get cared for. And she left with a giant scar across her abdomen because they had sterilized her, knowing that she was a native um, and keeping that seed from being released into the world. Um, boarding schools and assimilation, our children were forced there. Um, forced conversions, erasure of all kinds, and then the 60s scoop, where there was adoptions that suddenly began to happen, um, disenrollment from our, our roles, um, entire tribes erased and land grabs, and then the current uh, missing and murdered indigenous women crisis and our incarceration rates. And we could probably go into more detail but that is the history, the timeline, the consecutive, you know, attack, this consecutive threat of this serpent against our seed. There's never been a moment where we haven't, our children have not been at risk here. Um, so when we say, there's a popular saying across North America, 
that we say, we're still here. Mm-hmm. And often when people say, well, if you could tell us one thing that you'd want us to know as native, you know, as non-native people, what would you want to hear? And we'll say, we're still here. Mm-hmm. And how powerful that phrase is in connection to what I just described That's in true. very brief, you know, overview of all that happened. It's like against every odd, we remain. Mm-hmm. Against every attack, we remain. And so that phrase of we're still here, it actually echoes of the good news of salvation. It mm-hmm. feels very similar to me. It's referential to the great I am. Mm. we're still here is i feel jesus and that saying i am Mm. there's an eternity there's this eternal life there's this insistence on continuation that is within inside of us and america's melting pot this crucible of hell and homogeny we couldn't be smelted down tried everything we could not be smelted down and so what could this mean about us as First Nations people? What could this mean specifically about us and myself as a Mattapani woman? It means that something of eternity lives inside of us. Mm-hmm. There's something eternal in there. Mm-hmm. Something of the ancient of days that won't quit. It's this mm-hmm. insistence on eternity deep within, even in the face of death, we are constantly reaching towards life. Stay alive. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to take just a moment. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You were bringing tears to my eyes as I was listening mm-hmm. to you. And just mm-hmm. that's powerful. Um, mm-hmm. Quite powerful. Just uh, as even before you said the phrase, we're still here. That's the phrase that came into my mind as you were talking. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. And I was, and I was even, I'm mean, just the gift to have you here with us, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. That ancient. It's a thing. miracle. I, I'm not saying I'm, I'm not trying to like be like, you are a miracle. I'm literally saying, but like, also, yeah. right. It's unbelievable that I'm as, still here. <laughs> but as your people, yes. Yeah. I, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. There's, uh, there's hundreds of us. That's it. There's only yeah. hundreds of Matt and I. And I'm one of them, and I get to be with you people, and it's really beautiful. Mm. Um, humans aren't the only ones that have eternal life embedded within inside of us. I'd like to, ex- when I say I wanted to expand this beyond um, just childbirth conversation, yeah. um, I have a garden, and it got real, real hot uh, for the last couple of weeks. Um, I don't know if anybody was seeing this. Um, I know it's been very hot across the globe. Um, in some places, like record, not like record numbers. Um, so plants have this phenomenon that they they do when they are under stress, when it gets too hot too soon, um, when the conditions just aren't right for thriving, and they're being threatened. And it's this phenomenon called bolting. Um, and so I have some lettuces that don't appreciate the heat. And one of my lettuces began to bolt. And what this means is that um, there's like this quickening in the spirit of the plant when their life is under threat. And there's this quickening in the spirit and this plant instinctually reaches towards life 
and eternity, and it rapidly goes to seed. So long before it would have, it doesn't full, you know, it doesn't go through the full, you know, life cycle. It might have taken two months or three months, but all of a sudden it's producing seed now in a month and a half. There's just like this quickening, it goes to seed. And my message and my hope for today is the same as the Proto-Evangelium. There's going to be a baby, right? (laughs) So like as this, Hmm. as this plant feels like it's, you know, it's going to die, it's going to lose its life and death is imminent. It basically says from within ah, no, like I insist on eternity. I insist on continuation. There's going to be a baby. There's going to be a redeeming future. And in a way that only plants can say, I believe they say, come Lord Jesus, come eternal Mm. seed, be eternal life, even now in this moment. And they produce seed really quickly so that they will continue on. And there's this hope for this plant. Um, I think it's everywhere. Like there's this incessant eternal life of God comes not from some place that's far away either. It's birthed mm-hmm. from within this plant. Like it's coming from within in connection with the great spirit and the hope of the future is conceived and this interplay that happens constantly between the natural and the spirit and seed is produced. Eternal life mm-hmm. is produced. And I love that it means that it produces fruit in and out of season. Like when you think of that verse, and you see these plants doing it, and that eternal life is producing fruit in and out of season. It's long, it's long before this plant is supposed to produce seed, and yet here it is, because mm. eternal life is incessant. It demands to happen, and it produces leaves that continue to be a healing for all of the nations, humans and non-human alike, um, is within this plant. And so I want to expand our view a little bit too, that this, this eternal life that comes from within, as we collaborate with the spirit, it's all around us. Um, Mm. even in these, these plants and perhaps this is in part what it means. Um, in first Corinthians 15 and 28, when it says for God to be all in all, maybe Mm -hmm. this is a picture of what that means. Mm, um, yeah. that all things becoming right. subject to him is actually all things coming under life capital l like yes. that's the subjection that we're in is life so good mm-hmm. and even in the face of death the spirit of life flat-footedly says i am mm. i am i insist on being i will mm. be and continue so what can we say about the Madapani Nation? Thank you, Drew, <laughs> for calling mm. me a miracle. The listeners heard Drew say that. Dr. Drew said Sarah was a miracle. <laughs> what can we say about the Madapani I didn't even Nation? need this sermon. I would have said this I, before your sermon. That's right. Before your that's I wasn't right. done, to be fair. The offering was given, the offering plate was passed before the sermon was done. So thank you. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, what can be said about us except that God has placed something of his eternity within us mm. and round and round the sacred hoop of life we continue to go. And it's really it's really cute each time a baby is born in our tribe. Um we get on Facebook sharing pictures and it's announced to the whole tribe like a Mattapanai mm. has been born. And it's mm. like held up like Simba, you know what I mean? And it's a big deal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. Such a big deal because it's like yeah. we're going to continue on another generation. Like yeah. eternal life is here. It's now. Eternity is mm. now. There's another baby being born, and it sounds a lot like and so and so. We got so and so. We got so and so. And it yeah. sounds a lot like good news to us. 
Yeah. It's <laughs> good. And so often we think resistance comes in all these um, decidedly outward forms and we forget that survival itself is one of the most powerful forms of resistance. Yeah. Sarah, you're incredibly moving work of um re recovering the tongues of your ancestors oh, and yeah. how you're raising your kids um uh that uh, the words that they can express um uh, words that are formed by uh the land that you have um cultivated and has cultivated your people um uh, that is incredibly powerful and I see as part of this eternal life. I just want to give you an opportunity to speak to that a little bit, even to name a little bit of where that work came from and what you think is the significance of that language work. Yeah, um, so our language um, is technically extinct. Um, it's very much dry bones. Um, Mm. And we had a couple of word lists that were recorded uh, through colonists. Um, you know, they conflict often. It was just what they heard our tongue saying their interpretations. Some of it could be off. Some of it could be wrong. And so we really thought it was just gone. Um, and there was, you know, a very methodical process of removing our language from our tongues. That was not something we gave up freely or mm. intentionally. Um, and I don't think people realize how much of you resides in yes. your actual language and your culture. Right. Even yeah. that word Senecomica, like, I'm like, okay, it means densely populated place. There's an entire picture that gets painted in your mind. And it says so, it tells you so much in that one yeah. word. It tells yeah. you about the proficiency of the land. It tells mm -hmm. you about, you know our wisdom as a people to be able to live in that large group together it, i mean yeah. it speaks of abundance it speaks of prosperity it speaks of so much in that one little word so when you read the entire language it's like um i think it was um let's see uh one of the indigenous randy woodley dr randy woodley mm. said um it's like losing your old testament yeah um, yes your history of spirit in this place and so much of your culture so i you know prayed a big prayer one day because i know that god is a resurrector he resurrected me in so many ways and i've seen the lord resurrect so many other people and things and i just prayed that the lord would bring our tongue back and i specifically prayed that it would come out i would hear it coming out of my children's mouth mm. um which in light of this conversation is uh even more beautiful uh, prayer in that moment. And um, and this is not all on me, but I was not the only one. My cousins, other tribal uh, members across Virginia who come from the same language group have felt that same push within our spirit and found out that you can resurrect languages. Um, and so we're working really, really hard on that. But for me, it started with um, putting together some prayers and some songs with the words that I did know um, and teaching it to my children. And uh, I remember one day in the garden, I think my oldest river, he was probably five or six. 
we planted beans because they're very, um, they grow fast. So it's a really quick mm. return on investment for a child who has <laughs> not a lot of attention span. So usually if I'm three to four days, a bean will pop and they already have like two leaves. So they're very proud when they come out of the ground. Mm. And he planted the beans by himself. And um, I told him about the beans and we thanked the Lord for the beans and he placed them in. And then I brought him out. I said, River, look, the beans have popped. Like they've come out of the ground. And he was so little and he just instinctively just started singing our song of thanks, like just started praying a wow. prayer of gratitude when he saw it. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, had to step back because I didn't want to confuse him, but I was weeping. Like I was like, it's happening. It's happening. So, um, yeah, when I say life is incessant, it insists mm. on continuing. It's not just in plants, not just in people, even in our language. Mm. I don't understand that, but I do know it <laughs> to be true. Mm. So thank you for asking me about that. Oh. Yeah, there's there's all sorts of other stories in the Bible um, that talks about this. Um, I think about um, Abraham and Sarai, completely disconnected from place and people and childless. And God gave him that same hope, like, you're going to be parents of nations. Um, mm. There was hope in there. A friend of mine a couple years ago, actually, um, very young, very in shape, like, perfect figure, works out all the time, eats super healthy, uh, randomly had a heart attack um, mm. and passed. And his wife tried to bring him back. Um, oh, and luckily, the ambulance workers were able to um, resuscitate him. But he had been, you know, out for quite a while, so hopes were really low. But during that time, a prophet came and prayed over him and said, you know, you're not going to die. You're actually going to have a baby. Next year, this time, you'll have a baby girl. Mm. And he came back full with no repercussions to his health. And sure enough, there comes a baby girl, um, which they had not planned for and not expected. And so there's these moments of hope in our children that like we will continue on and it'll be through our children i think of tamisa's book how many times can we mm -hmm. shout out tamisa's book everybody get tamisa's book right it's so good um faith unleavened in her book um and in her podcast she was saying like harlem was part of her resurrection yeah. she very clearly says that like harlem was yeah. part of her resurrection and when life looked super dead for her she's trapped in a marriage that she didn't want to be in god said there's gonna be a baby yeah like there's there's hope here's the good news there's gonna be a baby you know there's gonna be harlem and i remember putting the book down and crying um mm. on the last line of her chapter called flying because the last rat line reads but then harlem was born mm. Ooh. and i'm like oh like it's so it's so good i could cry just thinking about it now but yeah Anissa's rebirth into freedom coincided with her daughter's birth and this is salvation brought to the salvation brought her back to place like physically brought her back to earth from disassociating kept her from flying grounded mm. her and not even mm. giving her peace and strength but in her own body that's right, right? in love came to this earth again and harlan's birth showed to me this is her words this is not me speaking i'm just retelling the story harlan's birth showed to me that there was eternity inside of her body 
Mm. Yes. Mm. Even when she was surrounded by death, there was Mm. eternity in there. Mm. And eternity came to life right when she needed it. There's so much hope in our children. So much hope. So thank you, Tanise, for sharing sharing your words of hope and eternity. And I had the privilege of meeting Miss Harlem. And she's incredible. And I taught her my song. I taught her my song. I even sang my song of thanks to her. Um, wow. And she was she was there at my baptism when I got baptized in the waters of my people. I mm. mean, when we talk about the importance of our children, mm. like it just it just keeps going on. It's so yeah. good. Mm. You got me crying twice now. Sarah, oh, man. that's my job. <laughs> that's that's right. my job. That's the blessing of tears. Um, <laughs> I dehydrate people. Yes, that's right. Yes. <laughs> uh, today, I um, well, there's two. So I'm next week. I'll be heading to Pasadena because I'm um, co-teaching another demon course, like decolonizing Christianity course with uh, one of my former professors. Mm. So doing some prep stuff and rereading um, Kelly Brown Douglas's Resurrection Hope, mm. um, and at the end. Um, she talks about her, I think it's her grandmother, right? Is her great grand? I think it's grandmother. Uh, well, she actually talks about on both sides. Um, but she's, she's grappling with in some ways hopelessness, right? In the mm-hmm. context of Black Lives Matter and, and her own son, right? That's the conversation throughout the whole entire book is, uh, her relationship to her son. So that also, you know, it's really powerful. But, um, but, she, one of the ways she gets at, like, you know, thinking about, like, is, does Christianity have, is it efficacious in any kind of way mm-hmm. to mind the gap between white lies and oppression and, like, a world where Black people can thrive? And she remembers and retells a story of uh, her grandmother who was born in slavery and, um, and her only hope and her only prayer was that her grandchildren uh, would have a better world, right? So, like yeah. that was her prayer, right? It was life. Yeah. It was that eternal life coming from within yep. that did not even exist yet. Um, and I just think about the gift of survival. Because I, I guess why my brain is going there, because initially when you were first talking, my brain, I don't know, maybe... You, me and Jared always talk about Vincent Harding, right? And so it's hard. Mm. There is a river that comes to my mind. I'm like, yeah, and there's there. a way in which it relates <laughs> semi at first, right? Within mm-hmm. this idea, like this idea, something within the human spirit is always seeking uh, for life and justice and liberation, all that kind of stuff. But in some ways, yeah. what you're getting at is is more not. It's not more. It's powerful in a different way, right? Which is mm-hmm. um, not it's not just about the struggle, but it is literally about survival and existence and the gift yeah. um, of life in and of itself. And I think that yes. for me, as I'm, cause I, I guess, you know, me going back and wrestling with Kelly Brown Douglas is partly because these are my own faith struggles. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. And so just the power to just remember the gift of life that we exist that we are here um mm-hmm. and that um yeah i don't know i'm just i don't even can't even pull it all together right now because i'm just sitting with it and it's kind of heavy on my heart um but it i really is. appreciate um what you're offering as a gift for us mm-hmm. to kind of yeah. sit with um the great i am 
that mm-hmm. is doing something from within and that yeah. we are here and that we be a witness to that imprint of what God has done. Yeah. Mm. It's powerful. Yeah. And Jared, you're, you're a father and you come from people groups that were threatened and their existence <laughs> were threatened. How's this sitting with you? <laughs> See the difference like Drew is able to cry, uh, cry politely, like quietly, <laughs> like don't get me started because I'm just blubber and no one, no one will be able to understand anything. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to contain um i'm i'm right there so um uh, my swaying i'm trying to keep standing um so to to spare people running over with a modesty cloth um (laughs) i'm trying to stay upright and stay present but at the same time um like i'm both kidding but being serious i'm trying to be present to my emotions while um uh knowing that um, I need to spend a lot more time with what you're saying. And, and part of that for me um, uh, is just the grief of uh, weather reports in Italy and Spain at the moment, um, uh, the reality of um, uh, flooding in Bangladesh. Uh, anybody who has seen um, just over the past two weeks, like we're looking at the hottest recorded temperature in history. Um, uh, for for 20 years working in the climate justice space. And Sarah, part of my struggle is, and Kat and I talked about this in terms of like ha- having um, our, our little Noah and little Goffy is um, w- what kind of world are we bringing children into? Like we're living through an ecological crisis and at the moment um, old economic systems means there's a bit of a buffer, but it, it's like um, uh, we think we're flying as societies and we're actually in free fall. Yeah. And it, it's um, this is something I think about all the time and something that actually uh how these compounding things that we sit with and part of the importance of inverse for me is the kind of faith spaces that aren't pushing an escapism. One of the incredible things about this text is that there is enmity. Um, uh, Here's the unspeakable, um, uh, you know, we'll just say God, but like we're talking about creator um, actually saying there is an enmity with death. There is an enmity with oppression. There is an enmity with injustice. When for so many of us, part of the promise here is that we won't simply be a people that have made peace with hell. And that in itself, that there is a promise of a people who will actually give hell hell. Uh, mm-hmm. There is promise of a, that will have enmity um, and what it is to be a peacemaker is to actually have enmity with all systems of injustice, oppression, mm-hmm. a dehumanization, everything that robs dignity and takes life while living in these systems. Like, but mm-hmm. part of the word that you're sharing here is that we can pass something on to our children where they're part of the radicalness of Genesis 3, despite what evangelicals often do with it is not to declare badness over everything, but the reality of being able to name that things aren't as they should be, could be, will be. Mm -hmm. And so many of us go, like, that's just the way it is. And we miss 
that's not what Tupac was saying. That's no. not how we're that's not how we're to sing the song. That's not the this is going back mm -hmm. to Denise and um uh all, all love of hip hop. So that, that that was for my sister. Um but uh that's part of the gift here. And what I can hear you saying and inviting us into is how do we actually hold on to that hope in such ways that we don't allow language to die, but even the language and these stories where so much spirituality is trying to push us making peace with all that like is costing the earth at the expense of the poor. And we have like come and accept an escapism from this. Part of the radicalness of Genesis 3 is saying that like the story doesn't begin with this. There is a goodness that is eternal. Yeah. And it was a, a, like, um, I think of um, uh, Uncle Terry LeBlanc, uh, the Mi'kmaq elder um, and incredible scholar, two PhDs, like, um, but somebody who not only has um, uh, book knowledge, but he, he embodies wisdom. Yeah. And I'm so thankful for his influence on my life. But he would draw our attention in terms of the earlier chapters in Genesis with the first creation story, saying that um, uh, my culture doesn't miss it says in the beginning, not at the beginning. Because so many people want to talk about um, these creation stories as if it's about at the beginning, which is not only bad science, it's actually bad <laughs> inhabiting of the biblical narrative that in the beginning God has a purpose, that it's actually all of this is happening, it's built into everything. There is a goodness built into everything that is in every moment. And so in the beginning is right now as well. And what that opens up in terms of thinking about our children, yeah. thinking about like the power of your testimony and what you've just opened up, thinking about how do we actually be a people of hope and look honestly at the sheer despair of is is this too late and yet how do we live in such a way that we witness to to something that um uh even though we can't see it all we see is crucifixion to live resurrection instead of just to disconnect that's some of the stuff that i'm trying to sit with without just that just those small just, things just that just like <laughs> but, but this is this is great teaching and this is your gift sarah is you you help us not escape what is before us all the time. Mm -hmm. I, I love that um, you're intentionally wrestling with wrestling with the hard. That's why I didn't want to escape the hard in my own people's story about mm -hmm. all of the heel stabs <laughs> and bites that we have taken on. Um, and you're talking about, you know, fighting against hell, you know, and pushing back against the things that shouldn't be the way that they are. And it's fought with life. Yeah. Like we don't fight yes. death with yes. death. It's actually fought with life. And yeah. that life is already in there. And it's through that reunification of spirit and flesh. And that's where eternity lies. And we see it in mm. our children. Man's search for immortality is met in our children. And I say that collectively, please hear that mm. on the national level. I know not everybody's supposed to be parents, not everybody can be parents, all of those things. But when a Madapanai baby is born, we all cheer. Mm. <laughs> we all cheer, right? Yeah. <laughs> because it's a big deal that we're, it's us fighting death with life. It is another yeah. crush of a serpent's head in that moment. But I think it's really powerful when we think of our savior 
being one of our own children. Yeah. Like, wow. like the implications are huge in that. Like Jesus could have come in any form in any way, but he still came through us um, as one of our child. And I, I think there's a whole nother conversation around that too. Yeah. Yeah. When we think about that, but we do need to wrap up because this is just the podcast and not an entire semester. (laughs) 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 Um, But I guess the message today is that there is gospel. There's good news within our very bodies. Yeah. And we are saved through childbirth delivered by our own delivery and there's so much hope and goodness in that to know that eternity and life everlasting that is jesus is intimately known by our human and our non-human ancestors Mm. and in the beginning nothing was made without him and he holds everything together and he is consistently bringing eternal life um when I think about Genesis three, we talk about, you know, this broken relationship, Jared, that you say it's Genesis three is not how it should be. We shouldn't start there. Um, and in my hermeneutics, I don't start there. Mm. Um, but in this, this lesson, you know, we're thinking from this point, but this break in relationship came, the healing in that came through return to collaboration. It was actually yeah. return to that in the beginning that you talk about that embodied that functional like in within this community she returned to being in collaboration with her seed and god and there was a promise that there would be a delivery that would come through mother mary that you hang on your wall in a spirit-filled earthen vessel that's how it was supposed to be and there was a return to that and in that moment mary's womb becomes a resurrected eden um in that moment and it is how it should be spirit and flesh together as one um and so god warned you're gonna have an enemy his enemy is death and eve was like will it end me and god said no there's gonna be a baby Mm. there's gonna be a baby i'd like to end with romans 8 22 and 23 for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now and not only the creation but we ourselves who are the first fruits of the spirit groaning inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as children the redemption of our bodies for in this hope we are saved Mm -hmm. the good news to all of creation is that there will be a baby. Dear sister, would you bring our, our listeners to prayer? Eternal hope, giver of life, the great seed who was to come and came and is still to come. Mm. We thank you that in you there is an insistence on life and abundance even in the face of enemy and death so i lift up every nation across this globe every people group 
whose children are under constant threat. Hmm. It is not easy bringing children into this world. And you told us that there would be great pain and struggle as we bring children into this place. But God, you also gave us a hope in our seed. So God, bring eternal life through our children. Hmm. May every nation be represented around your throne in our languages, every tribe, every tongue, bringing you the glory that was in the beginning. Mm. God, we thank you that you have given us every tool to fight death. And I thank you that sometimes it comes quietly in homes around kitchen tables. It's in schools as they study. It's in hospitals and huts and birthing rooms, you give us life. Mm. God, I just pray that we can keep our seed if we could only keep our seed. God, help every mother and father and nation to keep our seed. Bury this hope deep within us that there will be life even after death, that we will continue on. Be the great I am within us, Lord, unite every flesh with your great spirit, that we could be one, and we can know you in this way as the giver of all life. In the name of Creator sets free, Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 The Inverse Podcast is proudly supported by you, the listener. And if you want to join the revolutionaries who are helping us have conversations about how this ancient text can still turn the world upside down, why don't you head over to patreon.com slash inverse.